suggested it because I had no qualifications or anything, you know. And and I, at the time, I still had no ambition. I didn't, didn't think about music as a career. I didn't know I could do music as a career, you know. Like, hello, and welcome to episode four of How Do You End Up Doing That with me, Alex Jeffers. This podcast is all about speaking to people about jobs they've ended up doing and what got them into doing it, because usually people have got a bit of a story to tell about how they ended up doing what they're currently doing if it's slightly out of the ordinary. This week's episode is with Captain Barrett, who currently works as the hip-hop coordinator for Museum Wales or Amgiadva Cymru. Prior to this though, he was the head of music at Boomtown Music Festival, and has as long as I've known him, and well before, been a staple act for many festival lineups under one of his many guises. Captain is a really interesting guy, and it was fascinating to speak with him so openly about his youth and how different things have influenced his life choices, when I've always known him for more of his public image as the man behind the decks getting the party going. If you listen to this and you've got any comments or feedback, anything you'd like to say really, feel free to drop me an email to alex at howdyou.com. That's H-O-W-D-Y-O-U dot com. And I'll take a look at any emails that come across and hopefully I can get back to you with some answers. So let's get stuck into our conversation with Captain. Cheers. Hello, Captain. Thank you for coming on today to yeah have a chat with us about your journey from well, I guess like you've had a you probably had the most crazy journey out of uh, most people I've spoken to. So yeah, do you want to um, kind of introduce uh, introduce yourself quickly and uh, kind of go over what it is you do at the moment? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, so my name's Cap- Captain Barrett. I live in Cardiff. I'm the uh, hip hop coordinator for Amgred for Cymru. Uh, Museum Wales and I do other stuff a DJ I'm a bit of a busybody when it comes to kind of music especially uh, local music yeah I think uh, so since I've known you've always been a DJ programmer sort of festival organizer night organizer general yeah general like it's always been music your kind of thing has been very much deeply rooted in music for the yeah. whole time but the the different things that you've done are pretty pretty uh all-encompassing i think you were a man- manager once for asteroid boys is that um... yeah yeah kind of yeah i mean officially i was definitely a manager yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think my role at the time was probably more of a mentor uh, than a manager but officially i was i was the oh, okay manager. i i i, I kind of say that when it when it uh, you know when it sounds appropriate but um i, I you know i i, I had no clue about um artist management and I didn't want to be a manager they asked me like a few times and eventually I said yes but yeah they they had a pretty clear vision of where they wanted to be and everything I I was more of a mentor kind of just helping them on the on their journey really Uh, let's um let's kind of take it take it right the way back and go over you know early early years teenagers yeah how do you how do you kind of get into get into music How, how were you at school what were your interests what kind of things did you do then I was I moved around a lot. I went to a different school, probably like every like six months to a year. Yeah, it's kind of hard to to, to pinpoint. I don't I don't remember a lot of, about school. So I went to school. My earliest school was in London. We lived in um, just off Labrick Grove, and I went to a, a nursery school in Trellick Tower, which is the big kind of dinosaur looking building. 
Yeah, like my so my earlier that's probably where my earliest kind of musical memories are. My earliest memory that I, I can remember is is Notting Hill Carnival. You know, I don't remember much about it, but I remember smells and I remember sounds, and um and and there was a lot of reggae. Like growing up in the early eighties, there was a lot of reggae in in the the areas I was living in. I lived in in uh, there. I lived then I moved to White City which is a, 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 a was, a probably still is, largely Jamaican and Irish area. Then I moved to Hackney. Well, no, then I moved to Stoke Newington and then I moved to Hackney. So all of these places, you know, reggae was massive. And then uh, I went to a few different schools. And then I remember it was when I was living in Hackney, um, it was, would have been like 82, 83. And I remember two kids doing kind of popping, locking robot dance um, in assembly. And I was like, blew my mind. I was like, this is amazing. And the music they were doing it to was amazing. And it feels like the next day that everybody was breakdancing, you know, like in my um, in my estate, in in the the playground at, at work, at school. Yeah, so so hip hop just came in, 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 a, in a really big way. But then I moved to the country. I moved to what used to be Avon. Um, so we moved out of our estate in Hackney and moved to uh, a little town called Cleve. So I lived in That's Cleve. like around Bristol, way, isn't it? Yeah. So, so yeah, what used to be Avon, like little country villages. Um, and I tried to introduce them to hip hop and they, they weren't very into it. And like, I tried to introduce them to breakdancing, but my problem was I was an absolutely terrible breakdancer. So they, right. they never really caught on. Not the right sort of person to be showing people how to do it if uh, if you can't do it too well yourself. But... So I was always into music there then, you know, like I'd listened to the radio a lot and, and, and I kind of picked up a lot of sounds around me. I loved the music that my parents played, like my parents were separated. I, I remember a lot of the old music they used to play with my dad. It was a lot of like Beatles, like especially Sgt. Pepper, Pe Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. My mum, I, I kind of more remember her playing, uh, I think The Police was probably my favourite thing that she used to play. So quite different from hip-hop then, because there was still, like, you you know, it was quite, back then, quite a broad spectrum of musical interests. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, but all I really had access to at that point, after I left London, and where, where, when all of these sounds weren't around me anymore, all I really had access to were either my parents' music or, or the radio, like Radio 1. Yeah. And that was kind of it. Um, so, so I got heavily into pop. You know, okay. I liked a lot of pop music, which is funny. Like they reached a point where, where it was really naff. And I kind of, I remember launching some of my tapes like out the window, like why was I listening to this? But now it's kind of come back around and actually it's like a lot of it was quite cool. But it was my mum, it was my mum that first really noticed that I, that I had a heavy interest in music. She tried to kind of like feed me different interests and hobbies, which I'd kind of pick up for like a, a few weeks and then and then just get bored. Um, you know, I got bored like really easily. Uh, still do, I guess, except except I don't. Except I don't anymore because I, I've got no space to get bored. If I, you know, I just fill it with stuff. That's the difference between being an adult and a kid, I guess. And as a kid, you have a lot more room to get bored, don't you? Yeah, and and, and I just get, I just lose interest with stuff really easily, um, which is probably why I never became a musician. Like my my trombone teacher when I was a kid just told me to stop. He just said, "Stop! You're just not any good." That's <laughs> pretty. That's pretty brutal. Sort of feedback come from a music teacher. You would have thought they would have yeah. tried to eke it out. Was it, was it like? 
you know, did you try a wide range of instruments, like, you know, guitar, piano, or all the sort of like the traditional ones? Yeah, I, 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 I tried like, we had a, a like a Casio keyboard. I probably learned two tunes on that before I got bored. And, and I'd get frustrated really easily. I'd, like, I'd be like, ah, oh, I don't get it. You know, I wasn't allowed to play computer games because I just get so frustrated at it. And, I, you know, I'd launch things and, and whatever. So my dad was like, just, just no. So I just never, but, but I could listen to music. I could sit down and I could listen to music for hours and hours and hours. And my mum kind of noticed like I was really into it. So she, she gave me like a, a bunch of tapes uh, that she, she, she had on, I think, I think it was stuff she had on record and she just taped it for me and went, okay. right, there you go. Um, and that was kind of my starting point. Yeah, which was probably like mid to late 80s. Okay, um, what, what sort of age were you then? Uh, I would have been probably like nine or 10. Okay, so still quite young then, like really quite young. Yeah, pretty young. Uh, the tapes she gave me, you know, uh, definitely had a, a lasting effect. It was like Bob Marley legend, UB40 signing off, Eddie Cochran. Uh, it was the Bonzo Dog Doodah band, which I blame, and Spike Jones in his City Slickers, both of which I blame for my whole electro swing phase. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's their fault. I think and, a lot of people are pretty grateful for that electro swing phase, to be honest. There are a lot of good nights uh, great. because of it that. Was, it was tons of fun. Like, you know, it's funny. I, I think, uh, like, my, my good friend uh, Mevs was one night was like, yeah, that was a really good night, but I need to ask you, do you really enjoy that shit you play? I was like, oh, it was a great, great period. I can't, I can't deny that at all. We had a lot of fun. We went, went, went to a lot of different countries, and um, yeah. But that's probably a bit down the line. I'm probably jumping quite ahead. That's all right. This kind of quite often goes like backwards and forwards quite a bit. Uh, your mum recorded loads of tapes uh, off yeah. the record for you. And I, like, I, you know, I started buying records, mm -hmm. um, or like I'd have them bought for me. You know, I'd be like, oh, we really want it. And it, like really naff records, like the Anfield rap or like Spitting Image Chicken Song. Um, okay. Probably the best one I had was like Rolling Rap, the cassette of the album, which I listened to recently and it is a banger. It's okay. an absolute banger. Um, <laughs> and then, but, but then, but then it, it was, it was about 88 when I was 11 and my first year in secondary school, uh, we'd moved to Birmingham so I was living in Birmingham and there was a little shop down the road for me that used to do seven inch singles for 70p. And I, I bought loads of them, you know, but the first one I think was uh, LL Cool J, I Need Love. Um, but I, 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 I bought loads. Like I wasn't going to any cool record shops. It was like this, the corner store or it was like Woolworths. So very much like chart stuff. But by that point, by 88, like, and 89 like cool stuff was getting in the charts so that's when i really got into like public enemy uh fight the power when i heard that it was like that that sort of time was when like public enemy those kind of acts were really getting big weren't they 88 89 the charts were amazing you know yeah. there was like like i'd already like i i did also have like a hip-hop compilation i you know i'd got into uh like i run dmc and i I'd, I'd picked up bits along the way mm -hmm. but but 88 89 was like yeah fight the power uh, LL Cool J, Salt and Pepper, uh, and and then loads of like house and techno as well. You know, like yeah. Inner City, Diva, all the early British stuff like Bomb the Bass. I'd I'd say that's still probably the foundation for a lot of the stuff that I play was like that period. And and of course I was still into reggae. 
Asha D, Daddy Freddy, Ragamuffin, hip hop came out, and that was like marrying the, the reggae and the hip hop, and it was like, yeah, just a really good kind of melting pot time. Yeah, yeah. So, like in the kind of like the in between times where you know you leave it, you go living in London, uh, you leave London, go down to Avon, and then during that period you're listening to a lot more pop music and stuff like that. Do you then go up to Birmingham and then you suddenly like ah oh, these are you know these are the tunes that I was listening to when I was in London, or this is much more the sort of stuff that I was listening to back then. And this is like more of a, like, was it more like a nostalgia kind of feeling or was it just like, Oh no, this is, this is good. Not consciously. No, it was just, it was just, it just hit me. I don't think I was really aware of the connections. Yeah, um, yeah. I did live in Bristol in the, in the middle of it as well, very briefly, but, but, um, yeah, like I wish I remembered more about living in Bristol because it was a really cool time to be living in Bristol, but I really don't, unfortunately. Oh. And and thing is, I I was still into pop, like even though I was finding all of this cool shit, like I still bought Bros, you know. Like, <laughs> is that wrong with Bros? It was big at the time, hey, right? Classic. Um, and I was buying Smash Hits, okay, uh, magazine, you know. But then, but then it was around that time, eighty eight, eighty nine, that um, that hip hop connection st- started. And so I started buying that as well. Like mm-hmm. I, I bought loads it, from that. From from then, I bought Enemy. I bought Record Mirror. Like I, I just bought loads of magazines, and 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 that continued for for many many years. You know, just buying more and more, like DJ and Mix Mag, Straight No Chaser. I went from spending all my money on comics to spending all my money on like music magazines and and, and records. Yeah, um, yeah. Did you keep hold of all the records, or were you like? recycling you know buying them selling them buying more selling them or did you just end up with this massive stack of records at home i was really good at losing stuff i was quite chaotic chaotic as a kid so i, oh, okay. I like i lost loads of stuff but then no year it was many many years later you know i had a big record collection like like massive and i and i, I put it all in a, a warehouse for safekeeping i think i was i was either between houses or or, or like moving or i can't remember exactly what i put all of their records in safekeeping and they got stolen oh no so yeah yeah just just lost everything i I had a few left over and i I think i just kind of lost it a little bit and just went i don't want anything and just started like giving stuff away and selling like i gave away everything pretty much oh um, that 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 hadn't been stolen and uh, and and i just went digital and this is much many years later you know, but right. before that, it's it's good actually. I've got um my my stepdad found a, a box of my stuff in the garage the other day. Um, he's like, come and pick it up, and it, and it was it was from nineteen ninety five, so it was basically my tape collection that I'd been carrying around in nineteen ninety five. Nice, okay. And it was really nice to just go back through a lot of those. You know, it was mainly like compilations that I I had made. Oh, that's pretty. That's pretty good made, though that you get like a. A better sense of what your like where your musical taste was at at that time rather than yeah. just like you know single records because i think if if looking back at the, some of the cds and some of the tapes that i would have bought when i was a kid some of them were not great but looking back and kind of thinking oh this is how i would have put them together or these were these were good enough for me that i added them to a mixtape you know you kind of get a better sense of where, where what you were thinking at the time right yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, it really is. And uh, what's funny about them is my mixtapes weren't as good as like I remember them. Okay. <laughs> Nothing ever is. 
it's pretty good but i was like why did i put that on there like that makes no sense but um <laughs> but yeah no it was good and like loads of tape pack i i, I mean i got heavily into hip-hop and and and, re- and and dance or that has remained throughout when everything that i was listening to fused and became like rave and then jungle i got loads of tape packs and stuff from 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 back then and, and that was really nice so by then after i, I lived in uh, birmingham for a year uh, and then moved to cardiff 1999 right okay so you would have been 12 oh. 13 yeah 12, 12 yeah, okay. yeah and then did you sort of settle then in cardiff pretty pretty firmly yeah yeah i still moved around a lot um right. again every six months to a year we, we'd move um okay but but in i was in cardiff non-stop then until between 12 and 16 which were which were very formative years i mean that's that's when i got yeah that's when i kind of like developed a base level a lot happened in those years you know that was when i first connected to the to the welsh hip-hop scene uh, I met I met Dregs, who was going under the name of Res Q at the time. He was my best mate for years, mm-hmm. still is. Yeah, so he was in a group called Best Shot, and then I met another group from Cardiff called the Underdogs, uh, which was DJ Jaffa and Forty and like loads of like youngsters from St Melons and and uh, that area that mm-hmm. that they were working with, and yeah, that was kind of my starting point with that. I started writing raps then as well but i mean they were terrible they're absolutely awful yeah you're hanging out with these guys you're doing um you know writing raps that sort of stuff what were you uh what were you doing sort of you know were you promoting any gigs kind of um doing any like no, your involvement I, professionally in music at that time like, just... absolutely nothing like no? like I, I i i i had no clue about how anything worked at, or, or and I had no, I had no vision. I had no like purpose. I had no like nothing. Like I, I literally thought at that age that I was probably not going to make it past uh, eighteen. I'd spent a lot of it drunk, okay, uh, or stoned. Yeah, between twelve and sixteen, I was probably really unhappy, but like also doing lots of mad shit. Okay, um, <laughs> but like, but like, but like not constructive shit really, apart from. I realized afterwards that, that actually listening to music was really constructive. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I went to school here. I left when I was 14. Okay. So I, I didn't last long in school in Cardiff. And I spent most of my days while I should have been in school. Uh, like, like I took music in school and, and I wasn't allowed in the class. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Okay. Like my whole music career is, is missed opportunities or something. So I left school, spent a lot of the time in... Uh, yeah, record shops like all day. I'd be in Spillers or Virgin or HMV and just just be listening to to music all day. And then I got a job working working for my dad, who had by that point he he was a teacher, but he decided to try a, a, a series of, of uh, small businesses. So at the time, in fact, the first job that I had, he was delivering eggs, like organic eggs or or eggs. something like that. Yeah, and I remember. I remember going on like delivering eggs with him. That was like my first thing. I think I, I think that was before he realised that I'd left school. Though I think that was just like a part time thing. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it definitely was. Yeah, he didn't know that I'd left at that point. And then when he eventually found out, and and they kind of said that it's not worth me doing exams and stuff because I just missed too much. He at that he then had a, an organic bakery, so um, so I, I started working there, going to work at like. 
three in the morning or something. It's horrible. Well, it was all right. It was fine. Like, I quite, I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed working, working in the bakers. You know, okay. uh, I ate a lot. Really <laughs> like working with food. I'm into it. Yeah, I can see why that'd be good. Yeah, because yeah, it's pretty. It's worse things yeah. to be working with. One for the customers, one for me. But I'd, <laughs> I'd, make, I'd make up deliveries, and then, and then on a Friday, uh, I'd finish work about half eight, and I'd be at Spillers for nine o'clock to oh, just okay. over, hand over all of my wages. Um, probably keep some for cigarettes and, and and like spend the rest on records. That was it until. I turned 16, tried to go to college, went to Barry College just to do GCSEs. At that point, my dad was seeing someone who would become his wife in Birmingham. So I would got there quite a bit uh, <laughs> and I'd, I'd buy a lot of records from there, especially like reggae records, like seven inch singles, uh, reggae 12 inches from like Summit Records and Don Christie's. And I'd take pirate radio all the time, like PCRL. Moved up there in the end, like I, I get, kind of gave up on college. Like I, I went to college, I left about Christmas and then went to college in the West Midlands in Wensbury. But like, I I checked out by then really. I spent most of the time in the canteen, playing dominoes, listening to hip hop or, or, or playing basketball. And just, just, just kind of hanging out. Um, but, but got heavily, like even heavy, more heavily into hip hop because we actually had acts that would come and play, you know, like Das Effect. Red Man, uh, Naughty by Nature, like Birmingham w w was getting quite a lot of good hip hop gigs. So I was going to all of those. Was uh, Birmingham better, better for hip hop than Cardiff at the time? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there was no, like nobody really came to Cardiff in that time. Not, not nobody, but like very few hip hop shows. Mm -hmm. You know, living in Cardiff, we, we'd generally go to like London, sometimes Bristol, sometimes Birmingham, but but London more than anywhere else. But then, but I'd, I'd, I'd also then when I moved to Birmingham, I'd have my boys from Cardiff would come up and visit. Birmingham's a pretty wild place in the in the early nineties. Um, okay. I don't think it done me very well apart from the music education. Right. And, and that side of it was really good. Um, I was going to amazing. I saw some amazing people like on the reggae side and and the hip hop side. But like my boys were into some pretty mad stuff. I, 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 I didn't, I didn't really get into anything. Like I, I was always like, I was always too much of a pussy to be honest with you. I was like, I didn't, I didn't say that, but I'd be like, no, nah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really into that, you know? Yeah. No, I'll give it a miss today. So good. <laughs> not a big fan of the guns and stuff. No. And then moved back and forth between Cardiff and Birmingham, like for a few years. And then left, and then and then and then it kind of got came to a head in '95. I was living in Handsworth in Birmingham, heavily into jungle by that point. Really good jungle nights in in Birmingham. The madness kind of got on top, and I thought, all right, I need to get out. That, that like I had to draw a line under it and go. This if you know, and I, I need to kind of look after myself and and get out of this situation that I'm in. So I moved to the seaside, where there was very little hip hop. Yeah. Very. Very little jungle. In fact, there was like house and trance and probably the best music that I, I found in Weymouth was probably Prodigy in okay. the night on a Wednesday night or, or, or you know, on a weekend. I, I was working for Pontins. So, yeah, most of the music. I, I mean, I still had all my tapes and everything. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, I still I was still playing my music. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a lot of a shared appreciation. 
Okay. Well, <laughs> the Pontins crew. My co-workers, you know. But yeah, I managed to maybe convert a couple. But um, there was raves. There were still raves going on, and and I, like I went to quite a few kind of like really good raves. Everything from like hardcore to like house. Yeah, like, you know, it was a good. It was a good time for dance music. So that's about ninety-five. You said. Yeah. So that was. I spent two years, I think, in, in Pontins, or maybe two and a half. I was in Weymouth, then I was in Torquay, and then I was in Western Supermare, and then I was in Jersey. Yeah, Jersey was nice. Like, opened, you know, like we had, we, were, we had the best beach in, in Jersey. It was hard work, but, like, got a lot of chilling time as well. well what kind of put you onto that? What, what sort of made you think, oh, I'm going to work in Pontins? I have no, I, you know, I'm not sure. I must have met someone who had done it at some okay. point or someone had suggested it because I had no qualifications or anything, you know, and, and I, at the time I still had no ambition. I didn't, right. didn't think about music as a career. I didn't know I could do music as a career, you know, like, yeah, the kids, the kids I was growing up with, you know, a lot of them ended up in jail. It wasn't it, like none of them went to university. It wasn't. It wasn't that kind of environment, you know? Like my parents weren't like that. My parents had better visions of, of, of life, but I wasn't really I wasn't really paying attention at that point. I'd kind of okay. cut, cut off and I was like trying to just do my own thing. Then then I moved to Swindon. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Such a weird Very thing funny. to go from Jersey to Swindon. <laughs> yeah, I was it was a girl. It was oh, a girl. Okay. She had a fair point. She was like Look, there's jobs. We don't know what we're gonna do. There's jobs in Swindon. Let's mm-hmm. go there. And and to be fair, that was like it was a breaking point for me because um I tried to get jobs. I, I got a job in like a bowling alley until they actually tried to make me do work. Like it was it was an easy ride. It was a completely easy ride. And like I, I worked there in the daytimes, and I'd like slip my hip hop connection in the middle of a brochure, uh, in the middle of a, a manual and just read that all day. And that okay. was sweet. But as soon as they, they kind of cottoned on to that and tried to, like, you know, get me to clean out the bins and stuff, I was like, no, I'm not really feeling that. No. So I, I tried to get a job in, like, a clothes store and, like, shops and things. But eventually I got a job in a in a, a music store, in a record store. In, uh, in, in Swindon, Swindon, yeah. Right. And that was a game changer. That was like, oh my god, I'm actually I can do something that I love. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I did, and I loved it. I like, and 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 it showed. I kind of, I I knew that whole store back to front. I, I like, I put it in complete. It was chaos when I went in there, and I I categorized everything. Like, I, if I didn't know a CD in there, like, I I'd, I'd learn about it. Then within like a year of of working there, um. The, the supervisor left first, so they made me a supervisor. Mm-hmm. Then the manager got pregnant, and I became the, the manager of the store. Um, okay. Which was is like... Is the store still there? Or is it, like, is it a famous... It was, in, it was in the Outlet Village, in Swindon Outlet Village, called XL. I don't know. Yeah, and, and I mean, that really helped my music collection, because I had like a 50% manager's discount, still spending half my wages on um, on music. But like, yeah. just get more of it from from doing that. I, I I think I hit a point. Yeah, it was when I was working there. I was like, I've got an opportunity to stick with music now and to like just get jobs within music. Like you know, because obviously, because I'm working in the record store, I'm meeting all of these other people who work within music, and I'm like, shit, I could actually do some stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
and then I and then um, I, I kind of fell out of love with that particular store. There was it was fine when I was left to run it by myself, but but as the company got bigger, head office were like in, interfering a lot more, and I was I was not feeling that because I, I I didn't like their interference. They were to mm-hmm. me they were kind of getting it, getting everything wrong, and it was just annoying. But I was still quite young, so they weren't really listening to me, you know. Even though I was running it fine, yeah, yeah, I, I, I started to get disillusioned with it, and um, you know, I'd split with a girl, so I was in a funny place. And um, my dad, my dad was in another new uh, business, okay. Um, but this one was going really well. It was uh, he was selling domain names and web web space. Oh right, okay. There's a bit of a change and from it, organic bakery. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, completely. <laughs> but this, this was um, this was like ninety eight, ninety nine, right? Okay. Um, so it was at the start of the dot com boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's running it pretty much on his own in his house, and he's like, "I could really do with a hand." Now I know nothing. I'm, I'm I don't think I even had a computer at that point. I was all right with computers at school, but again, because of the because of the the thing with the games, I got because I got so mad at them. Like I didn't really have a computer, but I learned fast. And so I I went up there and I gave him a hand. Within a couple of months, we went from the um, front room to like big offices on on in Harborn. Like it took off like super fast, and it wow. got busy, and we had a whole team. And um, so I learned I learned on the go, um, mm. and I started. <clears throat> learning about websites uh, i built my first website which was uh, and 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 it was a welsh hip hop site it was called enter the dragon and it and it was it was all about hip hop in wales because there wasn't i mean there wasn't any there wasn't many music websites at all that no, i knew no. of then like i knew all of these groups and and i was i don't know how i was finding them all oh I, I, that's right i was going i was going to to uh cardiff every weekend okay. so by that point i was i was seeing a girl uh, back in Cardiff, uh, Dregs had, had got me a, a, a gig every Saturday at the Toucan Club. So that was my okay. first DJ residency. I'd never DJed before that. Um, well, no, it's not true. I had, I'd, I'd played like one or two like Latin parties. I'd be playing Latin music in Swindon. But yeah, so I, I, I played the Toucan and I was playing like, like a mixture of Latin, I guess, and hip hop and funk and like jazzy beats and, and things like that um and reggae and yeah so i was playing all that kind of stuff in in the toucan club every weekend and, and so i was reconnecting with back with cardiff a lot um yeah. wales in general and so i started this this website and i was meeting loads of like groups that were doing uh hip-hop but none of them seemed to know each other so i, I thought this would be a good way to like get people to know about each other but also for the rest of the world to hear about uh, Welsh hip hop, and there was a forum and everything on there, which was busy. That made me realize that, like, I didn't, I definitely didn't want to be selling domain names. Like, music was my passion, and that's what I had to follow. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I moved, I moved back to, back to Wales, uh, back to Cardiff, and was DJing more. We started a hip hop night called uh, Higher Learning. With the like DJ more and that, how were you like? What was how were you getting gigs? Was it just through word of mouth? People saw you at the Toucan Club, kind of thought, "Oh, we'll get you down to do this." Or were you just like through chat to people? Yeah, I mean both. Yeah, just yeah. just that. You know, I went from the back room of Toucan. I started playing some sets like in the main room, and um, I mean there wasn't a lot of places 
really back then. Like Tuchel was a bit of an oasis, you know. There, okay. there was a lot of bars, and I, I played like um, I played a lot of university, like student kind of like the African society. I was playing, I, God, I was playing all sorts. I was playing like Bangra nights and um, <laughs> like, because there's there's a lack of DJs playing certain things in, in, in Cardiff, especially at the time. So I, I had such an eclectic kind of collection yeah. Um, that people were like, can you do that? I was like, yep. Yeah. And then of course, then of course, things like LimeWire came into play in Napster. Even if I didn't have it, I, I you know, I'd be like, yeah, I can do that. You can pull it together pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. I remember the first time someone asked me to if 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 they knew any if I knew any punk DJs. And um I had no punk. <laughs> I, had, I had one tune. I had one tune by the Cockney Rejects that, that I'd been playing like on repeat and thinking, <laughs> I really want to play this out. Well, how can I play this out? And then someone said, do you know any punk DJs? I was like, yes, me. <laughs> I can form a whole set around this one song. I gave myself like, like literally just phoned up everyone I know that was into punk and gave myself a crash course, which is great because I learned all about punk and I love punk. So yeah, the, then you like, yeah, you said you, uh, you organized a club night and was that like a similar sort of thing? You just sort of thought, oh, I want to do it. Let's uh, get some, get some people involved and set it up. Yeah. So so I think it was probably Jason's idea of dregs because there wasn't anything. There just wasn't really anything that was representing what was going on in Cardiff. There was one night that was that was played some hip hop, mm -hmm. but he wouldn't put on local acts. Okay, um, I, like they wouldn't even really put on British acts at the time, and UK hip hop was 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 big at the time. So yeah, we we eventually managed to convince uh, the Toucan to let us have a uh, God. I think it was bi weekly at first. Okay. Um, on a Thursday, and it, and it went well. It was great. It was a really good night. You know, it was well attended. Uh, the acts were great. The, the atmosphere was really good. Like everyone from the scene was coming down. We always had an open mic, so loads of new faces came out the woodwork, uh, and it was great. It was a really good time. It it really felt like there was a scene or a community even. Yeah. Um, that, that had sprung up and we stuck with that night for probably about 12 years i think was that like a pretty you know good feeling to think you've brought together this group of people in cardiff and you're sort of like at the, the the forefront of starting this thing off like that must have been a pretty pretty good feeling to know you were ahead of the curve i wasn't really thinking about it to be no. honest with you it's just like just doing it <laughs> you know like <laughs> like when a night went well then then it felt good there was a really good period where pretty much every night that we put on someone would come up at the end of the night and go that was the best night i've ever been to and that that kept us going you know okay. that was yeah, yeah. We, it wasn't all hits you know we had some really difficult nights and like we never made money <laughs> like we were absolutely p piss poor at business you know we could bring <laughs> vibes we can yeah. we could make a good night i mean that was that was my whole like career as a club promoter you know like i could bring <laughs> ultimate vibes and good music but like just ne never money never a profit never, never cared about it to be honest with you yeah. like i was eating and I, I i could just about pay rent and I, and and i was having a lot of fun and that's that's kind of, that was kind of it that's all i really cared about at the time i, I really wasn't didn't care about the money um, no, for period
which I probably should have paid a little bit more attention to because money's really good to have. But I was surviving, you know, and yeah. more than surviving, I was having fun. I was, I was having a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did more nights. Went from like doing hip hop nights and then got involved with a promoter called Matt the Hat. Uh, we were, we were living together as well as DJing and putting on nights. I was also uh, teaching kids how to DJ and like, I was rapping at that point as well. So I was doing workshops, like working with young people who want to rap. How did that come about? Like, how did you get into, um, like, what was the sort of the opportunity there to get into working with young people? So, so Dregs was doing it. Okay. He'd been doing it a little while with uh, like a community arts organization. I went to a couple of them to film. Like I had a, I had a video camera and so they said, Oh, can you come and film some of the workshops? So I was like, yeah, cool. I turned up and the, the kids were, were pretty feral. They were like wild. So he was like, I need a hand. Can you like help me like take it, take those kids and like, just like keep them occupied. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah cool. And we did. And, and, and I like, it ended up being a really good project. So we did more of them. So I helped him out more. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I, I, from that and from doing the hip hop nights and from being around loads of rappers and, you know, I, I was writing anyway, um, quite a bit. And, and so just, just started doing my own raps and, and performing here, there, everywhere. You know, I was all right. I wasn't like the best rapper in the world, but you know, mm-hmm. I could hold my own. Like we were good. We were good with the kids. Like me, me, me and Dregs were, you know, we were good at dealing with them. And, and they looked up to us and it was, it was good to pass on because I was in a good place. I was having fun and I, I, I was like in a pretty good place with myself. So yeah. being able to kind of hand stuff down to people. I mean, I, I had a lot, I, had, I wasn't like all sunshine and roses. I had a lot going on, but, but rapping was really helping with that. It was kind of, okay. it was therapy. And, and, and so what we were trying to do with the kids is, is just get them to open up and express themselves and to have an outlet to, to, to let go. We went all over the valleys. We went into prisons. We went like, okay. uh, we went into refugee centers. Uh, we went into secure psychiatric units. We went everywhere doing hip hop workshops. And a lot of the time, like, like one of the major things that people need is just a way to express, like to get out of their heads, mm-hmm. everything going on. So that was real good. That was a real, real, real lovely part. Of, yeah, it uh, sounds just like you know, fulfilling more than anything else. Just you, yeah, it really yeah. was. Especially when you see like like the change you'd see in some some kids was quite dramatic, and and you know that was that was lovely. Yeah, yeah, um, I can imagine seeing the not the before and after, but you know seeing the level of confidence because I did some work with Prince's Trust. Um, oh, this would have been like six, five, six years ago, uh, and we were running a a training course to show kids with some basic digital skills, but other bits and bobs as well. And one of the girls who turned up on the first day, she couldn't even like, she, she just turned bright red. If you looked at her, just so afraid of talking or speaking to anyone else in the room. And by the end of day five, she stood up on the stage and managed to like read a line out of a presentation for this thing that we've been working on a week. And it was such a heartwarming moment for like, for me and the other teacher were like, we, we, you know, the difference in this kid from the start from we from day one to day five unbelievable and it's just through spending time with them and kind of working through working through stuff with them it's amazing i like like after the music things like i, I kind of went off and, and started doing other stuff and but dregs carried on working with young people he still does doing music but also doing drama and, and like uh and, and theater stuff 
when the funding goes, it's always the first to go, you know? Yeah. But what they actually got out of the kids was probably better than anything else. You'd see a, a, a complete change in them uh, uh, over yeah. the week, you know? It's not giving them a, a, a tr- like a trade. Mm. Um, I understand the, the need for that. You know, you either did hairdressing, mechanics, or like theatre or music. But yeah, the, the, especially the theatre stuff, like you'd see that just developing themselves as human beings was incredible. So me and Matt were, were working at a, a place called Intech, and that was that was great. Like it was the start of grime, okay. and, and lots of the kids were into grime. So I got a really good sort of like window into that. Yeah, that was like two thousand three, two thousand four. Okay, uh, and then two thousand and four, we played Glastonbury. I was I, me and Dregs were in a band called, or we're like guest vocalists for a band called Dark Trunk. Were an amazing funk band from Cardiff, and they they entered the Glastonbury unsigned contest, and uh, and won like we won. So we got a gig at Glastonbury on the Thursday. In back then it was like the dance tent. Uh, there was only a tent, and it was amazing. It was incredible. Like absolutely, probably one of the highlights of my life. Just being on stage and being like, wow! Like you know, a few, literally a few thousand people. That would have been the biggest biggest crowd you had ever played in front of then at the time. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. Yeah, definitely. yeah. And I, ju- I jumped into the crowd at one point because I love doing stuff like that. And and um, I was running around the crowd and I was like, I know everybody here. Like, like <laughs> there's so many people from Cardiff in the front rows of the crowd. I was yeah. like, this is amazing. Um and then, and then just had a really magical weekend. Like I've been to Glastonbury before. My dad took me when I was a kid. I'd snuck in um, before as well, like okay. under the fence. But actually performing there was amazing. And mm. and it was a funny one because we, we got that gig. Um, but then we got another gig, me and Dregs, with, which was completely different. It was a contemporary dance group, Reformed Dance. And they, we did a, a piece of work with them which was, so they would dance and we would rap to that. And then we would rap and they would dance to that. So it was like a whole piece. Uh, and okay, they yeah. managed to get that into the theater and circus tent. So we were performing that. So we performed on the Thursday, but then we had to do this theater and circus every day. And and I mean, that was incredible. That was really good. Like how we pulled it off, I have no idea. Every day, you gotta be there like, it compass Mentos enough to like do this performance. Yeah, because um, that's pretty like intense stuff to be doing at, at Glastonbury, but to, to you know to do it once, but to do that what, five five days in a row. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. On the Sunday, like it, uh, this incredible thing happened where the CD started skipping. Okay, but we, we were so like in tune with it all then that like all the dancers were just doing robotics, <laughs> like. Like, like, like they were robots breaking, like malfunctioning. Yeah. And me, me and Dregs would just like throw words at each other, and 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 nobody noticed that it was like that. It is all gone wrong. There loads happened in that weekend that kind of really, really changed my outlook on life. And I realized I, I needed to be in in fields more. I needed to, to like be in more festivals and have yeah. a lot more fun. We were doing a club night, and it was a good club night. Uh, Secret Garden. After that, we were like, right, okay, we can we can switch up. But then we went to Bestival, the very first festival in 2004. We had no money because we'd lost our jobs. And at like 
and nights weren't making a lot. I wasn't, I was making, so, like DJing was just about surviving. Mm. So we went as uh, litter pickers. We didn't last very long at that, I'll be honest with you. I think we lasted like a couple of hours. I actually, actually apologised to Rob the Banker already. I sent him a big apology letter. I, I'm really sorry. I, I was a crap, um, <laughs> crap litter picker. Yeah. But I really <laughs> had fun at your festival. They're, they're kind of used to that now, aren't they? Like that's why you got to pay the deposit. If you if you sign up for any of those uh, volunteer roles, you have to pay. Then then you get the money back if you do a good job. Rightly so. Like we like 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 screw us for doing that. You know we should have stuck at it. Like we should have <laughs> totally recognised that now. But at the time, I've just like, nah, this isn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, from that, we we kind of like really wanted to take a little bit of that fancy dress and the the kind of the the kitschness and everything back with us. And we did. Yeah, we were really quite influenced by Rob DeBank, especially at that point. And he, definitely as a programmer, he was one of my influences when I became a programmer. But then we, uh, yeah, the next year we took an inflatable church to a uh, festival. Um, uh, which which run like I lasted a few years, but the, but it but it actually carried on um, until the very end. It still happens at camp festival. Yeah, yeah. It's a different inflatable church these days. It's a much right. bigger, brighter, and nicer one. But um, yeah, and 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 I mean the original church is out there as well, doing its thing. Uh, they're, they're still going. Um, but I, I bowed out after a few years. It all became a lot. We were doing festivals like every weekend. I was DJing. I was like, and, and they were they were wild times. They were like seriously wild and and pretty hedonistic kind of period. So event, eventually, it just takes its toll. You're like, okay, I can't literally do this anymore. And, and we were still put like still putting on loads of parties back in Cardiff as well. We were doing every Sunday at Buffalo. So Monday morning, we'd be I'd have to wake up, and me and Stu would be like lugging speakers and things like that. It just got a lot, and like I, you know, I, I partied all weekend. I was, I was working at a bar uh, to kind of fill in the gaps because I still I still hadn't figured out how to make money from what I was doing. Okay, so like <laughs> I, was work, I was working behind the bar at Buffalo. Was, you know, like probably one of the best promoters in the city in terms of like our nights were literally probably like I, I don't say it lightly. They were definitely one of the best, if not the best nights in in in, in the in the city at the time. Yeah. And, and the, the Sunday nights were like the most fun nights and everything, but I still, I still wasn't, wasn't making bloody money. So I was working behind the bar, uh, but eventually got fired. That's another long story. Yeah. And then I went to uni. So like festivals kind of done, bar, you know, left the job at the bar. And then it just seemed like then was the right time. I'm I was, go, still, I was still at the bar actually when I started uni. I, was still, oh, okay. I hadn't been fired yet. I was still at the bar. Because um, I remember, like, writing essays at, like, seven in the morning, like, severely hungover after having a lock-in. But I, I did, it did wind down after the first year. It was a bit like, okay, no, I want to take this seriously. Yeah. I, I want to do some work. I was still doing, I was still playing a few festivals, but I'd, I'd left the infl inflatable church. Yeah, just knuckled down for them for the last couple of years. So what were, uh, you, what were you studying? I was doing broadcast media and popular culture. I just, I just kind of felt like I was having a lot of fun, but I felt like my brain was melting. Like I wasn't really using it to its full potential. And I, like, I, yeah, I just needed a bit of a kickstart to the brain, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and that was definitely it. Like okay. it was great. I learned loads and 
yeah, I think it, I think it really helped. They kind of tell you at the start of the the course, like this will not get you a job. Uh, in terms of like life lessons, and it, it was very much uh, helpful in terms of like how to break stuff down and how like kind of just seeing through the bullshit. It was no wonder they stopped doing it. It was very much a, like this is how you like pick things apart and and see through the bullshit. Okay, and that 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 was the biggest kind of stuff I learned from it. So did that move to Bristol. So when did when did that come to an end? Two thousand and nine, it, it it came to an end, and I moved to Bristol with my girlfriend. Then at the time, she was living in Bristol, so I moved in with her. She worked on the first Boomtown. Like I knew I, I knew the Boomtown guys already from doing the inflatable church. They'd bought the sound system one year. Uh, a lot of people that I know from the festival world all like worked with us on the church at some point. Oh, and I'd started a blog. That's right. I discovered I discovered music blogs at university, uh, and we, we had to write a blog as part of the course. They were a pretty new thing at the time, so I started a music blog because I'd started to get bored of hip hop around two thousand and nine. It was just getting quite tedious. A lot of it. Quite recently, I did a fifty years of hip hop kind of uh, radio show in Bristol, and and I really noticed it when you get to about 2009 2010 it was really hard to pick a track it was like oh it was pretty tedious for a while there so i was getting a lot more into like it was hip-hop based it was hip-hop but it was like a lot more electronic sounding and a lot more kind of glitched out and bass heavy and like it, it like digitally mutated i guess was yeah. was the term that i i used to use uh called chrome kids so i i started a blog um so i was doing that quite heavily and then moved to bristol worked briefly for an arts organization there but but split split with my girlfriend okay ended up back in cardiff then ended up at cardiff arts institute i don't know if you remember cardiff arts institute no i uh, closed in uh, 2011 i think in 2012 was when i was properly out uh, in cardiff yeah. Um, yeah, 2011 it, it shut. So it, it, I was there probably two years. I they'd asked me originally to to program it. It was Matt and um, his partner Gabby and her sister uh, Becky as well. And they'd asked me to uh, to program it originally. Mm -hmm. I said like no. I think I think because I was moving to Bristol, like I was like I need to get out of Cardiff. I'm not feeling it at the moment. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it it was going through a bit of a slump, which it does occasionally, and it was like, no, nah, there's nothing here inspiring me at the moment. So, moved to Bristol. But when I came back, it was like it started to go up again because I just split up with my partner as well. I was I, I was on a bit of a mad one, um. So I was out, I was out every night again, which I I was when I was uh, late teens and early early kind of twenties. I was out every night. So uh, yeah, I was out and I was going to all the nights. And it was fun. There were some really good ones. There was some really good stuff happening. Mm -hmm. uh, like dubstep was just kicking off in the city. Drum and bass had really picked up. And yeah, like there was just some cool shit happening. And I, I thought, right, okay, I can, like I can help. So the, yeah. when he asked again, I was like, yeah, I'm in. And, and plus I'd, I'd found loads of like bands that I loved at, at festivals. So started booking them. There was all sorts of bands play, played there, you know, like, um, I didn't actually book them, but Gentleman's Dub Club played there. It was like a 250 capacity venue, you know, like a wild, wild night. Uh, 
Sound of Rum, like Kai Tempest's early yeah. early band played there, and I mean there, there were there were bigger names that worked there as well that played there as well, like like really big names. But to be honest, I I didn't really care about a lot. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ellie Golden and and stuff played there, but but I was yeah. more into like the stuff that I was finding in festivals because that they they had the best atmosphere, you know, yeah. they were just like popping off. So yeah, did that did that for like a couple of years and and had a lot of fun. Again, tried to create that kind of sense of community and, and have a space where we could bring people in together because the electronic scene was popping off. So yeah. tried to book a lot of those guys. We, we we had a like a mini thing called Electric Sheep, like a a, a mini festival. Uh, we had a little manifesto which was like you know stay up late and break the rules, and we did both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> and and then but then we. Uh, we, I we we played at a, a festival. I must I must have been maybe I was still at the church. I'm not sure exactly, but I was at festival anyway. Okay. I think maybe I think maybe I'd gone there with yeah no I think I wasn't there with the church. I'd gone there with uh, Asteroid Boys because I right. started after them. Yeah, at festival actually it was at festival that that they asked me to manage them, and okay. I said no a couple of times, and then went yeah okay. Yeah. Anyway, we t- we came back from from festival and they'd locked the doors on us to the club. So it was like goodbye. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. It's done. <laughs> yeah. It's like I guess I guess I don't have a job. Um, oh. That's weird. It felt like no warning, but maybe there was, and we just weren't really paying attention. Um, like there was always a bit of friction between us and the brewery. Because the, bre- the brewery did not understand what we were doing, and to be honest, we didn't really understand the brewery. Uh, um, yeah, because it was a it was a joint project, wasn't it, between the brewer between Brains and um, like you guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there was also an, there was another company called Five Eighty who run venues like the Lock Tavern and in in London and Start the Bus. They were like the mediators. They were like the the go betweens because they understood brewery talk and they understood creative talk. Right. Okay. Um, but but I think. Yeah, yeah. For what, for whatever reason, it all it all fell fell apart, and um, yeah, they literally just locked the doors on us. So I kind of licked my wounds for a couple of days, and then realised that I I really had to like do something else. Got a job in um, London. Phoned up a mate of mine who runs uh, Shangri La in Glastonbury, uh, who again who I'd met through doing the Inflatable Church. He said, "Yeah, I got a job for you. Uh, come Monday." So, oh, all right. <laughs> uh, went down to London. I was there a year working on a big project um, in London, which went really badly wrong. Was that Block? <laughs> uh, Block Block was there, so it was the venue that Block was in. Right. Okay. That I was working for, so I, I was programming a lot of stuff for them. Right. Um, and yeah, and then, and then uh, a number of things happened. It was one of the most like catastrophic kind of journeys of, of uk events ever <laughs> i remember it making the news some, some of those things a lot of people but um but i kind of i ducked I, I i left friendly with everybody but ducked out and went i'm this is not this is not yeah. going well i am out of here sorry so yeah i uh it's funny it's funny I, we had a party then for about three days like after we got we all got kicked out of block. Like yeah. I wasn't working. I was like, I'm not working. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then all went back to my 
flat in uh, Hackney Wick and like partied for a few days and and people kept on reading the news to me. I'm like, I, I don't want to hear it till Monday. <laughs> None of this exists till Monday. I really don't want to hear it. And then Monday it was like, okay, now I need to figure out what, what my plans are. So yeah, I, I ended up, I tried moving back to Cardiff briefly, but after, after the pace of London and living such a fast pace in London, I like, I couldn't handle being back in Cardiff. I just like, it drove me around the bend. So I moved to London. Okay. No, yeah. not London, no, Bristol. 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 Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and that's when I got a job at Boomtown, which, I, which I'd already been a part of actually. So I'd been the first year cause my partner had done a lot of the uh, the scenic decor uh, right. but the second and third years I no the second year yeah the second and third year I was hosting the main stage um I was the town mayor yeah yeah so I, so I went and saw those boys because they were in Bristol and they said yeah we give you we can give you a job and then they gave me another job and another job and another job and another job I was, I was supposed to be there two weeks originally Right. Um, okay. I was there. I was there ten years eventually, and was was head of music. But it was it was literally just it was just growing so quickly that um, the director, the creative director, just didn't have the capacity to to do the music as well. So he, he just gave it to me and went, "There you go." Yeah, because I guess that's the weird thing about Boomtown is it's such a it's so unlike any other festival in its like the theming of it the way it's laid out the music that everything it's just so different in so many ways that i guess you, you need like such a team of people to kind of manage that all of the time yeah and and i mean there wasn't there was <laughs> it was like it was quite a small office at first and it was wild it was like it was a lot of work and, but and it was just it was just growing and growing and growing and 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 and, and again eventually they um we moved to bigger offices by the, by the time that I, well, maybe not by the time I left cause it was uh, after COVID, but like at its peak, there was probably about 50 people in the office. And that's okay. not, that's not including people that like work remotely, you know, and all build stages and things like that. And, and like all of the micro venues and it was such a massive team. I mean, you know, Thousands and thousands and thousands of people go into um, building Boomtown. Yeah, yeah, because like, yeah, the the sort of the year round staff, the people in charge of the booking, the organising, the maintenance, all the because the boring stuff as well that goes along with the festival, like organising insurances and yeah. uh, health and safety risk assessments. The uh, the license, like yeah. all of it, you know. Um, yeah, like because it, it's so big, you need like one person on each. I mean, it generally wasn't that. It was generally like <laughs> juggling multiple things. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it was like a lot of fun uh, for ten years there. Um, not all fun. There was no. definitely like peaks and troughs, but um, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like my boomtown experience to be honest. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah your your boomtown weekend multiplied by ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was um yeah, started started strong, uh went a bit wobbly in the middle where I got searched and then uh ended then went back up again pretty good couple of days and then ended pretty abruptly when I broke my wrist. Uh, oh oh <laughs> on my birthday. Oh man, yeah. That was not... like 20, 20, 30 seconds into my twenty fourth birthday, I got lifted up in the air and then um 
dropped and just landed on my hand, like oh. snapped my wrist. Uh, and then, yeah, to go to had to go to A and E uh, the next day. On bearing in mind, like it's on my birthday. <laughs> I think wait, went to the first day ten. Oh. Yeah, I know. Uh, when when of the first day ten, they were like, "Mate, we've got far bigger things to be worried about right now than you. Just just go away." Uh, and oh. then the next day, went back and was like, "I think I broke my wrist." They went, "Yeah, you have. Yeah, that's that's, that's broke." Uh, go to the hospital, get it put in cart, get it put in plaster. Got back and then um, yeah, just had to go home. <laughs> how did you get to hospital? Did someone have to take you? Or? Yeah, I had to get a lift. I had to get a lift in the end. Um, but yeah, it was oh, I was oh, it was yeah, it was pretty. Pretty low, but the, there was there was definite peaks in that weekend for the you know, with the the trough. <laughs> yeah. The um, but yeah, no, I can see. So like, you know, head of head of music, uh, you were there. Did you? I guess you know your years of experience of buying records, listening to music, kind of doing that. That all led into being able to pick out the acts and that sort of stuff. But how were you? Like how you know what does an average day look like for the head of music at Boomtown? Uh, a lot of spreadsheets. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it. A lot of it was searching out new music. You know, um, yeah. um, like because I, I, especially when it got so big. At first, it was having to learn a lot of the styles that were at Boomtown. So, like, yeah. deeper into punk. Like, I was I was already deep into reggae, but I had to kind of maybe learn some some of the the UK. To be honest. I was so heavily into reggae that we had a regular reggae night at Cardiff Arts Institute anyway, that mm-hmm. we had live bands on. So I knew, I did know a lot of the the live bands and um, obviously knew a lot of the hip hop, knew, knew a lot of the DJs. I mean, I, I was mostly live. So so uh, James Wonka was um, was m- mostly the DJs from, from the start. And, okay. and, and now, now he's head of music at, at, at Boomtown. We were always kind of on a, on a, on a, equal level anyway um a complicated relationship um but 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 we also worked really well in in many ways as well i think i think a lot of the boomtown successes are, were, were combinations of both of us you know mm-hmm. the way that we work so i i was having to learn all of all of these other genres like scar punk like mm-hmm. i knew a lot of scar punk but i didn't know as much as i needed to know in order to put the best line that possible and and that's what like that's what I always strive for because I, that's what I saw like that's what I always saw at Boomtown was like the lineup was always when I was hosting the main stage the lineup was always impeccable every band was amazing so I was like yeah. I can't I can't let that slip mm. I have to I have to like keep up the levels here so I, I yeah, had yeah. to learn more and more but then as we got bigger I'd have to learn more and more about different types of music to make sure that we we we, we had the best possible and okay. you know. I ended up booking like a folk stage, a jazz stage, and like so I had to go deep. I had to be like right, and I, I, like and so a lot of it was trying to find new music, and like you know, ne- you never switch off really when when you're doing that. You always, yeah. I, I was always like I was at gigs every night. I was constantly on the lookout for stuff and like constantly trying to hear stuff. And I'd go to a festival and I'd just be like bands, 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 bands. So it takes over, you know. It's a, it, it it takes over. At any point, kind of not not ruin your appreciation, but did it make you? Oh, hundred percent good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Like, like I, I really over the last couple of years, I've I've had to learn how to listen to music properly. Like, because you you 
digesting so much information. Like I'd get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails a day. I'd listen to about three seconds of a tune to process whether I liked it. And sometimes I probably wouldn't even hear more of that because I'm, de- I'm still DJing as well, but I'm DJing more and more different types. Yeah. So you listen to like three seconds of a tune. If you listen to more than that, then you, you, you probably like it. But people who send music to people really need to think about the first three seconds because like a lot of DJs, a lot of DJs and, and uh, promoters and stuff are the same. They're, they're like, your ears so finely tuned to, to what you need that you can listen to the first few seconds and know that it's not it and be like, so, but I was, I was just doing that constantly and constantly. And I'm like, whenever I was listening to music, whenever I was watching live music, I was, I was putting it on a stage or I was like trying to imagine it with an audience at Boomtown or like just putting it into a box in my head. And you know, like, yeah, I was consuming so much music that I wasn't listening to it. I wasn't feeling it like I like I was because because that's what you wait for. You mm. you're you're waiting for that 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 connection and then you're like okay you know it was a different type of appreciation and I still now like I have to remind myself I put on I put on an album and then just like do stuff and every yeah. now and then I'm like no just sit down and just enjoy the music just listen to it. It's why I like live music as well though because mm. now especially now. Like I'm still programming, I'm programming Big Love, but the remit is a lot smaller. So most of the time when I go out now, I'm not thinking about that. I'm just appreciating it. I'm just like, okay, I'm just enjoying the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, Big Love in comparison, you know, there's, what, three stages? Oh, no, there's more stages now, aren't there, Big Love? Yeah, and, and, and the thing with Big Love is, like, like, I take it as seriously, without a doubt, but it's like, if something if something comes to me, then I know, I know straight away. I'm like, this will work at Big Love. You know, yeah, I, don't need, yeah, yeah. I don't need to be constantly looking for it. Like it comes to me, hopefully. Fingers <laughs> <laughs> crossed. Well, so you've gone through like, uh, you know, 10 years at Boomtown uh, programming. Did you, did you leave before COVID or after COVID? No, I was really lucky actually. So um, I was on furlough from Boomtown okay. over COVID, right. which, which was a real lifesaver. Um, mm. and I, I picked up a couple of, like, I, I worked briefly for a company that were trying to set up a live music platform. I worked briefly for a VR platform. Yeah. Yeah. Mo- mostly I was on furlough making playlists. That was my job during furlough job that I gave myself. Not like I wasn't doing it. I was, I was doing it for everyone. I, you know, it wasn't a job I was getting paid for. I was like, right, what can I do that might make lockdown a little bit better for everyone i make playlists okay I make one every day <laughs> yeah there were there were a lot of playlists going out playlists. <laughs> I literally made one a day well not, not made i was making like loads at a time i'd put out one a day and it was great like, like no no i mean that was a that was amazing to to have two years of like music education like full on because i was like i like I, I was literally getting a book a day and like learning more about stuff and like consuming everything about like, cause I, you know, say I was going to do like 1930s blues. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know a little bit about, about 1930s blues, but I'm like, yeah. I don't know enough to have the best playlist on the internet. And that's what I want. Like it needs to be the best. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> so I'd, I'd just go deep. And I, like I'd get as many books as I could and mm-hmm. read as many articles and listen to as much stuff and, and, and make all of the playlists that are up there now. 
How do you, yeah. yeah, I'll um, I'll grab a link and I'll put it in the the episode description for this to so that people can find hunt down some of these playlists. Yeah, I mean, there's there's literally everything from like medieval plane song to um, soca to yeah. Coming in like out of uh, furlough, uh, your time at Boomtown's come to an end, and then you, yeah, how does uh, it come up with Amgiyadva Gumri? So, like, lockdown actually came at a really good time for me because um, I was burnt out. I was like okay. heavily, heavily burnt out at Boomtown. I was heavily depressed, and it gave me a chance to, to have a bit of a pause, even though I didn't mm-hmm. really pause, even though I kept myself fully like busy throughout. It was a lot less pressure. And and a, a lot more kind of on my terms as well, but I, I still wasn't fully recovered at the end of lockdown, and so I went back to Boomtown, and originally they offered me two days a week when I when I had been on five, and those five were re- realistically were seven, you know, because yeah, yeah, like you're constantly on the go. A, a, eventually, I got three days, so I had to take another job. So I went for Asian Arts Agency, which was great, like great organization mostly bringing in uh artists from from um india and pakistan yeah and and, and setting up tours for them and tour managing okay. and things like that and that, that was great but 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 that was three days a week and that was right. a full, that was a full-time job that had been squeezed into three days a week so i'm doing these two days two full-time jobs over six days on top of like my own interests and DJ yeah. and everything. It was just too much. It was like, no, that like this, this can't happen. So I took a sabbatical from Boomtown. Okay. And I said, I need a break. Uh, and they were supportive. They were really supportive. They were great. In that period, uh, this job came up for, for Angueda for Cymru. And someone told me about it. And I thought, do you know what? Like, I there's not many people that I would trust to do this job. And it was to to work on a 50th anniversary of hip hop show at the okay. museum. I phoned up a couple of people and I was like, are you going for this? And they were like, no, you should do it. You should go for it. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, okay. This, this is something that I'm really passionate about and always have been like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, the, the enter the dragon website didn't last particularly long, but I'd always been passionate about the music at least I had an appreciation for the other elements, but the mm-hmm. music especially I always loved. And I'd, I'd been booking people for Boomtown. I don't think they've had any Welsh people since I left. Sort out, guys. Otherwise, I'm coming for you. <laughs> yeah, so I, I kept in touch with it. And in fact, there was there's a website called God is in the TV. Great website. Really good music magazine website. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd been doing a, a, a regular column for them called land of rap about okay. welsh rap music which is now it's still going but I, I don't do it anymore i handed it over to dave acton from larynx entertainment um who does loads for for the for the scene here for the mobo mm-hmm. scene like you know absolute trooper yeah so anyway i i i, I was connected and I, I thought do you know what i like i'm super passionate about this like i i care a lot about it and i i care that it's done well and I also care that it's inclusive because a lot of people, especially people my age, have got a very like small, not not maybe small, but limited view of, of what hip hop is. Because because my generation were handed hip hop as uh, such a neat package because we didn't have the internet. We didn't have all of our streams of information came via 
like TV and the same magazines, the same TV shows, the same magazines, the same radio shows. We all got the same information. So we 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 had a, like such a neat package of what hip hop was at some point. But that is that has really kind of coloured a lot of my generation's view of what hip hop is. But but mm-hmm. it is bigger than that. Like especially since the the mid nineties when it kind of split. And then as we go into the 2000s, like it became loads of different things to lots of different people. And I thought, you've, you've got to represent that. Like whether I'm into it or not is is ne- neither here nor there. If if you're the, the National Museum and you're doing an exhibition on hip hop, then it needs mm-hmm. to be the people's exhibition about hip hop. So if anyone yeah. who goes there, like who who has a relationship with hip hop, whatever that means to them, should feel represented within that and and i was really like strong on that i still am i still am yeah anyway i got the job <laughs> <laughs> i got the job there yeah but the the 50th anniversary exhibition didn't happen um okay some complications um it, it kind of all fell apart but then i've managed to convince the the museum to salvage it and and do another show, which um, which which in my, in my in my mind is kind of stronger as well. It's like the okay. impact, the impact. It's not trying to be this is hip hop. It's the impact of hip hop in Wales. I don't know. If, I don't know how much I can say about it uh, at the moment. And it's it's still in R and D. I'm still doing a lot of work, kind of uh, developing it. And it's but it's going to happen next year, 2025. And I mean, it's come together really really well. I'm interviewing lots of people. I've done dozens and dozens of of interviews already and i've got like hundreds more to do because <laughs> um, i really want to i really want a strong picture of of what is happening what are the common narratives what are the current common themes like how how can i make something that is inspiring because you can't tell the whole story in a in a museum exhibition you can't you you can't do that you literally no. you literally cannot do that like i am working on on how we can direct people properly to to more information but ultimately the exhibition itself is just, it just has to be inspiring. It just has to be like, I want people to come out of there feeling proud of, of, of what we've got here. Um, yeah. Hopeful about where we can go and, and, and inspired, inspired about like where they can take it. I, and I want people to feel like Wales can take over the world. Like that's, that's how I feel. Like I feel mm-hmm. in my heart. Like I, like I honestly, I honestly believe that there's a talent here to, to make an impact globally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let alone in our own backyard. So mm. that's that's the energy that I'm trying to I'm trying to convey within the within the exhibition. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot more people are getting switched on to that now, especially after um oh, who was it? The the, the Welsh football um song. Um Yeah, Sage Todd's Sage uh, Todd's, that was it. So yeah, like acts like that coming through, um, and like making making waves in such big things as the Wales being at the World Cup and stuff like that, and it's it's making more headlines. Uh, Welsh so, rap, Welsh hip hop. Yeah, I mean Welsh rap music, especially, and you know a, a lot of it. People like traditionalists wouldn't necessarily call it hip hop, um, but uh, but I'm not I'm not making that differentiation. I'm saying. This this is the influence of hip hop. Without without hip hop, you wouldn't have this. But I mean that that is just the music as well. Like there, there's such there's been such a strong dance community, whether that be breaking or like hip hop dance or like other, other kind of dance style, like 
hip hop based dance styles. We've had so many strong dances and we've had such, such strong competition. And, and most people don't know about it. You know, mm-hmm. they, like they're just kind of doing their own thing and, and doing it well. But it's yeah. not like necessarily every day. I mean, you've had groups like Jukebox Collective on, on, on TV and everything. But like, you know, a lot of people in our own back garden still don't know about that. And we, we know about the art because we we see it on the yeah. walls and, and it's incredible. But we don't necessarily know a lot of the stuff that for a lot for a lot of people it's just vandalism still we they don't know a lot of the 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 passion and the the kind of the thoughts behind it and and where it comes from and and why it exists i really want to get behind and you know there's a there's a lot to it there's there's way more to it than just scribbling your name on a wall you know um and i really want to get that across and even with the djs like most people know dj jaffa but they don't necessarily know his his history okay yeah yeah and get just a little taste of that out there you know a lot of people don't know that the uk dmc championship the dmc championships is the biggest dj competition in the world the uk champion at the moment is welsh a lot of yes. people don't know his story a lot of people mm-hmm. don't know that the 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 dmc championships wouldn't exist if it wasn't for a dj from barry who's who was the the first dj like dmc stands for dick disco mix club and the very first DJ in the disco mix club was from Barry, and a lot of people don't know that. So yeah, just just telling all of these stories, uh, or, or, mm. or as much of these stories as, as I can, without trying to tell the whole history, but just 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 trying to make people like dig a little deeper, and um, and like I say, yeah, just leave inspired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with like you know the kind of museum exhibition side of things, are you getting involved in you know the layout and the visual appearance of the the actual museum exhibition. You know the route that people are going to take and the layout of the stands and the the displays and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I I have to really because that's like that's how my mind sort of works. Is 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 I don't okay. know, I don't really know what to collect unless I see what where it's going and what it's used for, but it's not my forte. Like I'm not a, I'm not a designer. So eventually someone will take what's in my head and, and, and also in uh, Tamika who is um, working on the project with me, like mm-hmm. what is in our heads as eventually a designer will take it and kind of supersize it and hopefully make it incredible. But I, I like, I very much will be involved in that process along the way because I like, I've got such a strong kind of, Maybe not a strong vision of what it should look like, but at least a strong vision of the level it should be at and, and, and the possibilities that they can be, you know? And um, I've, I'm, I'm lucky I've got a lot of friends who are, who are really good designers. So hopefully I'm, I'm looking for some help and inspiration from some of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, like, it can be a world-class exhibition and it can really put Wales on the map. And, and so that's, that's my end goal really sounds just fantastic like the the passion you definitely seem like the right person to kind of uh be (laughs) pushing that forward i honestly think so i'm not just saying that to be big-headed like like i feel it in my heart you know it's Mm. like yeah yeah, yeah. everything you've done up to this point has kind of led you to this now as um everything else i've been winging it and i like and, and don't get me wrong i've been winging it a lot on this i've not done this before this is completely new to me but like I'd say this is the first time that I felt like a real. Se- That's not true. I had a sense of purpose in Boomtown, at least, at, okay. least, at least for a few years. I definitely had a, a mm. strong sense of purpose of what we were doing, 
and we we changed the game. We completely changed the game. You know, it was yeah. a, and, and and I felt that, and I, like I knew what where we were going and, and what I wanted from it. But this is different. This feels it's this feels like a much more personal purpose. Uh, yeah. much more kind of like I kind of know. I don't necessarily know what comes after it. Mm-hmm. I've got I've got ideas of of like where what happens next, but um, but definitely yeah the 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 sense of purpose in 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 what i'm doing is is strong amazing amazing cap um right final question um i get well i mean this is it's not really been uh any questions and this just been a chat but um one last question is uh if you could go back and do it all again start you know go right the way back to when you were you know coming out of school doing all that sort of stuff is there anything you do differently and is there anywhere else you think you would like to have ended up uh, than where you are right now no not really um no i, I like i'm not i, I don't really because i like where i am right mm-hmm. now like i feel i feel i've got such a strong sense that i'm in the right place at the right time and everything i've done has led me to this point that i, I don't really think like that i mean i guess if there was like if i if i was going to change anything i'd probably go to bed a bit earlier a few times um somewhere in that period of, of the yeah. 2000s um okay. probably just go to bed and just be like Do you know what all this will still be here tomorrow you don't need yeah. one night um, <laughs> and, and 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 you know maybe maybe like take the cigarette from myself in in my early days like i don't smoke i don't drink or anything uh now but i definitely did <laughs> a lot and, and 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 now I'm you know I've definitely paid some some consequences of that. Thankfully, not the ultimate consequence of that, but like definitely kind of like where I'm at now is is I have to be a lot more careful about what I do because the consequences are more severe. So okay, very much clean living is like I, I kind of have to, and yeah. I'm, I'm I'm quite mindful of that. Um, so maybe, so maybe I'd, I'd, I'd take that pressure off a little bit and, and just take, you know, ease, ease up, just take it a little bit easier. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Take, take it a bit easier. Go to bed, uh, go to bed a bit earlier and, um, ease off the cigarettes. Amazing. Thank you so much, Captain. It's been truly a fantastic experience. I'm going to chat through all this stuff and, um, yeah, kind of delve in, delve in right back into your history and give it, bringing, uh bringing it all the way forward to now so yeah thanks so much for coming on and having a chat thank you yeah i kind of feel like i've been to a therapy session it's quite nice <laughs> <laughs> but a couple of people say that actually but um yeah. no it's all good but yeah thank you so much for coming on and uh yeah i shall uh, i shall catch up with you soon my pleasure nice one cheers, cheers mate bye Thanks for listening to episode four. If you've listened all the way through the episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review, maybe even sharing it with your friends. Similarly, if you've got a story you'd like to tell, feel free to get in touch. The email is in the episode description, along with links to some of the things we spoke about in the podcast today. I'll be back with another episode on Monday next week, so hopefully you'll be hearing from me again soon. Thanks, bye.